This episode of The Tao of Wow comes with a content warning. In our conversation about restorative justice, we touch on things that might be triggering, such as sexual assault. Hello and welcome to The Tao of Wow, a podcast about the intersection of technology, society, and internet culture with a dash of philosophy and art for good measure. I am Laura Hilliger. And I'm Doug Belshaw. Laura, are we still unfunded? Uh, Yes, we are, but say the lines. Okay, this podcast season is currently unfunded. You can support this podcast and other We Are Open projects and products at opencollective.com forward slash we are open. I felt like that was very convincing. Thank you. Um, today, we are very pleased to have a special guest, uh, Kaylee Walsh from Outlandish. Welcome, Kaylee. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Mm-hmm. Kaylee is one of my favorite people. No. Um, <laughs> Kaylee, we usually kick things off by asking our guests about what their favorite book is. Um, sometimes people sneak in more than one, mm-hmm. um, or like Adam Proctor, like 10. But do you have a book or two that you'd like to share with our audience? Um, there are two that sprung to my mind. One is The Overstory by Richard Powers, which is, I think he used to, he's a a science um I think he's a biologist by trade actually but he's one about trees yes have you read it no but I gave it to my mother as a gift I absolutely love that book every chapter is about a specific tree um and like how it weaves in to the story of somebody's life and it's just a really beautiful book but written through the lens of, of somebody who knows what they're talking about <laughs> in terms of the science of trees and I and it kind of um it helped reinforce my love of trees because I think some people take it as a bit woo-woo, but I actually don't think it's woo-woo at all. So he And he, he helped me remember that. And the other book is The House of Spirits by Isabel Allende, which is quite a heavy book. Um, it is about, it's kind of the story of, of the dictatorship in Chile um, between it, from the 70s to the 90s, but then it also has a lot of backstory about kind of how that even came about um and it's it's told of very opposing um views around the grandfather who was very supportive and benefited from the the uh, dictatorship and his granddaughter who he absolutely adores who is a left-wing activist fighting against it so yeah love those two books is that so a- both, both fiction books yeah 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 very cool very good um I, after we were recommended a book by Kerry Lamoy, one of our previous guests, she recommended a book called We Make the Road by Walking, which was mm-hmm. a lovely book, which in terms of being based on conversations between Paulo Ferrer and Miles mm-hmm. um, Highland. And the book is fantastic. Like, I was not expecting it to be so good. It's not the kind of book I would have picked up, and I finished it last week. So I'm very much looking forward to reading the overstory and the steal it back off my mother. <laughs> um, and yeah, Isabella Land. Um, yeah, I think that's the kind of book my wife reads, um, who you know, I think both of you, Hannah, 
Um, so yeah, looking forward to reading those. Great. Let me know what you think of them if you do read mm. them. So we're going to talk a little bit about restorative justice. So it might be worth giving a little bit of context about what it is mm-hmm. and also like why you might care about it from mm-hmm. a personal point of view, I guess, Haley. Yeah, so um, restor- I've, I've basically been involved in a restorative, ju- restorative justice circle for about a year and a half now. And it was quite strange timing because just as I started, and I'll give a bit more kind of context into how I got involved, but but I think what is also important to say is that I work at a worker co-op called um, Outlandish and we are lucky enough to work with a lot of socially progressive people and, and organisations. Um, and around the same time, I, started, I did a small piece of work um, for an organisation called Circles Southeast. Um, and the work that they do is basically kind of rooted in um, some work that was done years ago in Canada, where there was just a, there was a lot of um, sexual violence basically taking part in an indigenous community, and the community really wanted to sort of like address what was going on, but not in the kind of traditional carceral sense, and so they they managed to kind of um, establish a a way of the victim talking to the person that had, um, and and just sorry, just as a side note, like I'm always really worried and and try to be really conscious of the the language I use around crime. So, and, you know, not talk about the perpetrator and stuff like that. So I might sound a bit clumsy as I'm talking about it, but basically the person who had... um, who had like done the sexual violence basically and the victim and and get to the point where they could talk in the same room and have a, a safe conversation about what what it had what had happened to them during that time and get into a bit more like basically a kind of more human conversation around what was going on for them and how they could prevent it in the future so it's this real like community um kind of like holding this scenario and not shying away from it. And so basically I started to get involved with Circles SE, which are doing that in the UK. So they have but they have a slightly different take where they um they work with the person who has um normally been in prison. And so when they're coming out of prison in the UK, um they offer them a safe space where they can start to talk like really honestly about their thoughts and what's going on for them and why they did it and and basically try and support them so that they don't find themselves in a similar situation again so that's kind of like a very like clumsy parallel that was happening for me and then um at the start of lockdown I had already by by that time I had already been on two courses that have have taught by a really great friend the first being race and gender in popular culture which was a short course that I did at um, Goldsmiths University and another one called race rhythm and revolution and and the thing about the book recommendation as well I was a bit like ah because I've been really lucky to read so many incredible things over the past couple of years which I didn't know about previously and have been you know kind of on the the course reading for these courses and just like a whole new world has opened up to me and really kind of validated a lot of what I had thought 
and still think is important in the world but a lot of people kind of seem to shy away when I bring this thing these kind of things into conversation so basically I kind of found my people and specifically my person who's like a teacher but also just a really great friend to me and she invited me into this restorative justice circle that was just about to start and another kind of layer of context as well is that I and I'm okay with saying this now but I think we don't really say it enough as adults is that I had felt quite lonely for quite a long time. And even though I'm surrounded by like a lovely family, like really great people that I work with, there was just something missing like in me where I wasn't really able to have conversations that I really wanted to have. And it was, it was doing something to me and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. So I'd been kind of like searching for something like this for quite a long time without really knowing what it was. And so the restorative justice circle for for me has afforded me a space that happens on a monthly basis. It was obviously happening happening online for quite a long time, but we had our first in-person session in November, which was about eight hours. Like, I don't know how long it was. We were so (laughs) happy to see each other and there was so much to talk about. But basically, usually there's a theme that we come together and talk about And one of my favorite things about it is it's intergenerational, it's interracial, it's international. There's a um, a mix of of people's kind of day jobs. So the people who kind of coordinate the circle are um, trained um, counselors, basically, like they do mediation in organizations, but also kind of, I would say, more grassroots organizations. They do it in schools where there's a lot of knife crime and kind of things like that, where um, it's kind of beyond teachers like remit almost like, you know, like teachers are kind of at a loose end for for vulnerable families. So there's there's this really amazing set of skills from the coordinators. There's a man who has worked in um, in in peace, basically. That's how he describes it in Northern Ireland um, through the Troubles. Um, but then there's also artists, there's a minister, like there's just such a big range of of our backgrounds. So in terms of this this circle that you're in, you, you talked earlier about bringing together, and you didn't want to use the word perpetrators, but people mm-hmm. who are involved in the situation, the, the mm-hmm. crime, the incident, and bringing them together. It, it sounds like the circle that you're in isn't necessarily that, though. It's it's like people talking about restorative justice. What What's the... Well, so we have a specific theme um, each time we meet. So we've talked about shame. We've talked about uh, conflict. We've talked about, we've had a, one of the people works in um, in the justice system. So she gave us an amazing talk about abolition. And so we've started to move. I would say it's kind of moving towards a restorative abolition circle rather than justice circle, which has been like amazing to be part of that and to kind of shift the way that we talk about things. Um, so, but yeah, so, so we're not. Oh, sorry, Laura, go on. No, I just, I just wanted to ask if, um, if the circle is about reframing some of the narratives that we have in society around these various themes and the way that you know, even like something like conflict, for example, is is talked about or actually even used in society. Like you know, if you, um, it's the first example that comes to mind, but. Um, war terms or conflict terms like like battleground etc these kinds of terms are used in society um in ways that have absolutely nothing to do with armed conflict mm-hmm. um and so there's a i think there's a um a bit of a 
a renaissance happening about around the way that we use language and maybe coming back towards using language in a, in a particular way. And I'm, I'm just wondering um, if, if part of what you talk about there when you're talking about these themes is trying to, to use language in kind of a more pure way or to, to, to kind of pick at those narratives in society. Yeah, I think a lot of it is unlearning what society has taught us and having a space that we can talk about really openly and really honestly about what is going on for us. Um, and I don't I don't know how this happened, but we had a really high level of intimacy from the start. Like people just seem to be able to trust each other from the get go. And I and I mean there are there are two so there are two mothers in the group and and they're grown up children, which for me is incredible because I don't know if I could talk about some of this stuff in front of my parents and then not be concerned about what I say. Um, so, so yeah, we, we basically have this space to kind of explore and just to be really honest about what is going on. So like we met uh, a couple of weeks ago and rather than a theme, it was more a question, which was around how are people feeling about what's going on in the world at the moment? which is an intentionally vague question, I think. Not vague, but, you know, it's quite open to interpretation. And hearing people have the space to say, most people started to talk about Ukraine um, and say that they were kind of feeling uneasy about it because why isn't this, um, this kind of attention and public reaction afforded to other conflicts and other wars and even just being able to like say that out in the open and not have people judge them straight away and give them the space to explore it. It was, there was like a shift in, in the kind of, in, in the mood. But and I mean, mood isn't a deep enough word, to be honest, but something happened during that conversation that you could see people were feeling lighter because they were judging themselves basically for things that they couldn't, for one reason or another, they couldn't really feel like they could say. It sounds like almost like the antidote to really fast-paced social media. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it definitely is. I think it's an antidote to just um, the life that a lot of us are living in cities as well, meaning that we don't really have time to have a deep conversation with people, that somebody... Sometimes I kind of have this joke where if somebody's like, how are you? And you know, like this happens a lot when people are like, how are you? And they're kind of like already walking past yeah. you before they hear your answer. And sometimes I want to joke and be like, I'm dying and just see what they say because I'm like, do you really care? So it is this space as well for people who really care about how the other person is and where they're at. And Kaylee, um, in, in, in these circles, are there particular methodologies that are being used to create that safe, safe space or how, I mean, is it that as people, like the people who are attracted to, to these circles that they, they just know how to behave in the safe or in the space or how, you know, what are the mechanisms that the, that, that everybody is using to be able to have those kinds of deep, intimate conversations as, um, people who are maybe not, it doesn't sound like you all are strangers at this point, but if it is an open group, how does, how does, what's the mechanism there to allow that to happen? I think by the fifth, so there are some people that have dropped out and haven't, to me anyway, given a specific reason, but that's also fine as well. Like by the 15th circle, I think we've kind of like established ourselves 
Well, we've established ourselves as our group, but we're actually starting to bring more people in now as well because we want to open it up. And, and maybe in a couple of years, like some of us will spin off and create our own circles of people. Is because... there a maximum number of people in a circle as a guide? Or... Um, I think there are about 12 of us. Right. And I think that's a good number. I think especially because we had been on Zoom for so long. That's like a, and it's also because we're going quite deep into stuff. I think any more than that, it would mean that you have to keep things shorter. And then that's kind of not the point. Can I just ask really quickly as well? Um, early, you mentioned about how you're moving, almost drifting or maybe consciously moving away from uh, restorative justice to restorative yeah. abolition. Could you just kind of explain what you mean by that? I think the thing about justice whether it's restorative justice or whether it is you know justice itself is that there's first of all it's just a broken racist capitalist system um and doesn't actually do what it says it does like the the levels of like reoffending like you know the the lives that people live while they're incarcerated like i just think i've i've i was um I guess interested in abolition before I started this to be to part of this to be part of this circle. But now I would say I'm very much in support of abolition and like in any kind of like angle that I look from it, I look at it. I can't really see a space for prisons in our society if we want to because if we want to live in like a truly well, this is a thing though, right? A lot of people don't. <laughs> You know, like it is because I was about to say, if we want to live in like a truly like free society, I don't think prisons have any place in that society. But I also, on the other hand, understand how much money it makes for some people, and I think really that's the basis of why the prison system exists. I don't think it's to reduce reoffending. I don't think it's to do any of the things that people say. I think it is just to make people money. I was on a on a call about three weeks ago. And I must have been visibly shocked when this person said this. They were um, in a, a, a country in Central America um, on a work trip, but the reason they were there, they were there with their husband, who was researching non-profit prisons. And the two terms were so yeah. jarring to me, yeah. like a non-profit prison, as if like the default is a for-profit prison that I didn't even know how to process it. And so my face must have just been like a complete shock. Yeah. Um, but that's what we're moving to, I guess, in the UK a bit by privatizing all the things. Yeah, It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think that, that that way of thinking about the world, you know, I'm doing work on missing disinformation at the moment. The default is to block, to put to one side, to like ignore, to say someone else can deal with these kind of people while us regular people do our normal thing. Um, but it makes it very precarious because if you step out of line, you could end up in mm. Twitter jail, real jail, whatever. It's a it's a bizarre situation, a b bizarre way of structuring society anyway. I think it's kind of a black box as well that there's it, there doesn't it doesn't afford any conversation for a critique of why whatever has happened. And if we look at the precarity of so many people's life in this country, um, I think just even just acknowledging that is an is an indication of why people might get involved in certain things but in in there being and also it's very prisons are very binary right like the bad people are in prison so it's also like a kind of um and I and I'm saying that like 
I, I, I don't believe that. But what it means is that we don't have to engage with those people because they're where they should be and they did something bad and like the thing, right, exactly. you know, so it's just kind of like get them out of the way. Um, rather than thinking, okay, but why why has this occurred, and like how how can we really make it? How can we really prevent it in the future? So going back to my question about creating the safe space and the the mechanisms, and I'm really I'm really interested in this because right. I think um, it's I think that there are a number of topics in society that we you know that we shy away from. Um, and you've, you've talked about some, I have some, some others in the back of my mind, and I'm just really curious, how do how do you create the space for people to be able to have the kinds of conversations that these themes elicit? Because it is, um, for lack of a better word, it's quite dangerous mm-hmm. in today's fast information mm-hmm. landscape to, you know, say the wrong thing, lest it go viral and, you know, destroy a person. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I realize that I'm trying a a parallel between what happens, you know, in, in an online space and an offline space. And, you know, Doug mentioned misinformation, disinformation. So all of these themes are kind of um, flooding together. And I, I'm really curious to know how, what is the sort of safety mechanism for people? How do you, how do you create that, that space? What are, what's kind of the tenants there? I mean, the, the thing is, is that it struck me as well. And I was like, what is going on here? Like there's some sort of secret source that I don't, I don't know if any of us know what it is, but how did, how did this get created? So it's been crafted, but like very quickly, relatively speaking, like th- this is a kind of intimacy that I haven't got with friends that I've known for like many, many years. Wow. Um, I think that the way that it was formed was that there were three people who brought in people that they really trusted. And then those people, some of those people then brought in people that they trusted. I think that we have, um, I I mean, I, to be honest, I think that's probably like the first, that's the thing that my, my mind kind of jumps to. I think there are other things that just by either places that we work or places that we choose to, to or sorry things that we choose to give our time to on a personal basis there's almost like a back like reading or something like a like a pre-reading kind of thing that has happened for a lot of us or like a pre-experience or there's something that has shaped us in some way that has also meant that the kind the compassion is there as well mm-hmm. but it, in terms of I have I have tried to think about it and and try to articulate it previously and I, I can't really put my finger on it which doesn't help to answer the question <laughs> when I did the deep adaptation course last year um I had a, a lot of affinity with the people on that and yes there's you know self-selecting group of people all that kind of stuff but we did these deep relating exercises and you end up because you have to listen then repeat back and you know, what people are telling you and you have to really kind of focus in. I even did this this morning with a potential client, like listened really carefully, made notes, talked back, and they felt a a better connection. But to the extent on this course that someone changed the route of their holiday to come and meet up with me in person, and I'd known this person three days or something. Like it was was a bit odd, but I I wanted to kind of relate the story, if you don't mind, uh, just quickly, Kaylee. I knew you before we did this, particular week together the moodle net um, mm-hmm. design sprint week which must have been what 2018 so like four years ago yeah. and 
you did something which now feels entirely normal because we're, you know, part of the co-op world, sociocracy, which maybe we'll talk again in a, about in a moment. But you st- kicked off this week with like the CEO of Moodle in the room, people who are paying for Outlanders to do the work and stuff. And you kicked off by saying that you wanted to check in and you'd had an argument with someone in your family, I think, and that it was kind of weighing on your mind. Right. And that you wanted to acknowledge it. And I was just mind blown that you would say such a thing. But it set the tone for how everyone else then checked in and for the whole week and for the success of it and everything like that. Just that seemingly small vulnerability kind of mm-hmm. laid the sowed the seeds for the rest of the week. Do you know that's so nice that you can remember that because I, I can't remember saying that. Um, <laughs> And but it's really nice as well, you know, when you kind of hear something that you did, especially like four years ago, and they're like, "Oh wow, like that," you know, somebody else remembers that. And I think you've also kind of brought in something that can help with Laura's question, which is around this vulnerability. And I think that is the thing in the group that everybody is okay with being vulnerable. Um, and I really think that that has helped us as a group basically it's, it's how I think when you can be vulnerable with people you can establish trust mm. easier okay so you you the the idea of a circle is mm. very comfortable and common to people who work in in co-ops and you kind of said that you're already comfortable with that um we've talked about sociocracy briefly I guess mm. as part of our uh, podcast episode about cooperation and, and that kind of thing but for those who are coming to this new season four of the Tao of Wow and haven't come across sociocracy or circles before what's the difference between a circle and just like a a group of people having regular meetings um well a, a circle for, I mean there's kind of like two layers to it the way that I that I think of it and I and I, with these kind of things I'm always like oh no there's going to be like the sociocracy critic who's like no that's not what it is um and if <laughs> it isn't I'm sorry <laughs> but this is how I experience it which is basically circles are open for participation which is the first thing so if you want to get involved with any circle you can which is a really nice alternative to kind of mainstream organizations where you're like you're in this role and you cannot move out of this role um, and you're kind of pigeonholed and you don't really get to learn or experience new things and find out what you enjoy. So that's the first thing for me. But then the second thing of the circle is that you, it, the conversation moves around in a circle. So you sit in a way where you can see everybody um, and you do rounds. And if you don't want to, rounds are talking. So if you don't want to go in your round, it can just skip you. But it basically kind of removes this anxiety um, that I think happens a lot in meetings where some of us have to fight or like wait for for the person who's dominating a meeting, um, which might be conscious or unconscious, you know, like there are different um, personality types at play and that's just how it is. But basically waiting for that pause in breath to kind of like say your piece. And um, that also means that you're not really listening because how can you when you're just like trying to have a like wait for that break? So these rounds for the circles allow you to really, really listen, knowing that you're going to get your turn. Can you do a circle with like three people? Yeah, for sure. That's a triangle. It's a triangle. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just, I was just, I was just thinking that. Um, 
I was just thinking in a in an online context or in a virtual environment how like how to how to replicate that in smaller ways like in small in meetings that you have on a regular basis making sure that you do the round every time. Um, it, it seems like a, there's a number of uh, projects that I think that that would be really useful for just because you know people do have more or less um, ability to to either speak up or shut up. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, and it would be, it sounds like a really good technique to make sure that you do get to hear all of the voices in the room. And also this is, you know, going way back to my question about mechanisms, that's certainly a methodology that can be put into practice. So I like that. Let's make yeah. triangles. There might be people listening to this who are like, this is great if you've got a relatively small co-op, but how does this work at scale? Like people going, it's all very well, you know, being able to participate in any circles that you want. But I work in a company with 5,000 people across four continents. Um, like not everything has to scale, but what, I'm sure you've come across that before, Kaylee. How do you, how would you respond to that? I mean, yeah, my first, my initial reaction to that is I'm really just not a fan of scale. And I'm just, I just don't, I think, big organizations they always scare me a bit to be honest and like the amount of efficiency that's going out the window and the kind of like personal relationships and levels of bureaucracy and and this and the other not related to your question at all so I'll leave that to the side (laughs) um I mean the good thing about um circles is that they it allows you to to create smaller circles basically um, for people who are either interested in something or, or want to be part of something. And I think this is a thing as well that happens in a lot of big groups, that there is a variation of interests, which is great. So not everybody has to be involved in a specific decision that doesn't interest or affect them. Hmm. And so that's what circles allow for as well. They, I, think they, I think they do allow um, for scale, but I don't really like scale. <laughs> I think yeah, there's a lot of power in, in smaller collectives and organizations. Well, I also, I mean, I add that this is, this is a very sort of, we are, we are taught in our capitalist society to understand that growth is the only thing that matters. And if you're not making more money and growing and adding more people, then, you know, that you're not successful. And I mean, we've talked about this um, on this podcast before that there are different uh, definitions of success and mm-hmm. that we as adults and free thinking people are allowed to d- define what success means to us. Um, and it sounds like this idea of, of circles actually is putting the, you know, the definition of success for people in their own hands because they get to choose which, which circle they get to choose what they're interested in. Um, and I think there's, you know, there's some, some parallels there with working openly or, you know, agile methodologies and bringing in sort of the, the work aspect. I think, um, a lot of, a lot of bigger organizations are starting to connect to this idea that the, the command and control, um, method of, of management is not actually super healthy for people. (laughs) Um, and that it, and you know, that it doesn't get the best out of people. It doesn't lead to innovation. This, this sort of, we have to be growing mindset, but it's still uh, quite prevalent in our society. So, um, you know, the interesting thing for me, you know, when you, when you, people very interesting co-ops and oh, tell me more about this. And, you know, you talk about people being added and removed and, People, people always ask the question, as I've done, about scale. Um, and then when you talk about, oh, well, if our co-op got to a certain size, we'd probably split it and 
into two and then have different co-ops and then oh actually we're part of a network of co-ops called Cotech and actually we share work amongst each other and that kind of horizontal scaling kind of blows people's minds mm. that you yeah. would share your work <laughs> yeah I think it's I think things that um it's, it's I'm, I'm linking it to, to what Laura just said as well I think things that make us question um what what we understand to be like the foundations of a of a specific um subject can it can be quite a jolt and it and it can be, I think it can be quite jarring for people that they're like no 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 because I've I've believed this my entire adult life so don't tell me that there's an alternative please mm. um and I and I I find that really a really interesting psychology that there's there's a kind of it's not even that there's an unwilling to like learn about something new. It's just the kind of fear that, oh my God, this has been existing the whole time, but I put more of my eggs in my capitalist basket. Like what's going on here? It's, I think it can be a little bit of a shock for people to be honest. Well, I think, I mean, I think the other thing is that if we're talking about, you know, if we're, we're talking about scale and we use the word capitalism and we are relating that to like the world, um, you know, when you try to talk about other systems, there is a lot of um, failed experiments. I, I'll put it that way: failed experiments that don't actually adequately re- reflect the theoretical underpinning of a particular economic mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I I remember, for example, I was um, on a work trip and um, was talking about co-ops with somebody. And, um, and I started talking about cooperatism more broadly as like a system that we could use in society. Um, and, and she, she became very defensive and she was like, no, 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 this doesn't work. And you can trust me, I'm from Venezuela. And, you know, it's hard to have that conversation that what you experienced was, you know, a corrupt cooperative society um, you know, when you're talking about cooperatives, because when you try to bring in like the corruption of, of a thing and also try to explain that this theoretically could work if things were organized a bit differently. I mean, it's the same with capitalism. You know, the idea was uh, with capitalism was not that one wealthy person at the top would have all of the profit, but rather every time profit came in, that they would hire more workers and provide more jobs. So, you know, the theory of pra- uh, capitalism mm-hmm. and the practice of it are two completely different things. And so, yeah. Oh. Kaylee, if people want to find out more about restorative justice, um, either, you know, in the uh, justice system or the abolition thereof, or um, just in terms of all the things you've been talking about, maybe around sociocracy and stuff, do you have recommendations? It might be books. It could be websites. It might be come to our workshop um any of those any of those things what would you recommend if people are interested in the themes of today's episode i think um people like adrian marie brown are doing are writing some like really amazing um kind of glimpses into into work in detroit for example and community organizing um they've got a really amazing book about organizational strategy that i just just recommend for like whether or not you are the title doesn't sound great but it is a brilliant book um and then I and I feel like silly about because I'm going to say like me in a minute but you know people like Angela Davis as well for who's been working tirelessly on abolition for most of her adult life um and 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 so that's one thing and so I'll like very like 
strangely put my name into it, which is if there's like a lot lower hanging fruits, I guess, um, that you're interested in and like and finding out about sociocracy and consent based decision making. Um, we do run public courses at Outlandish because lots of people kept getting in touch with us to ask us um, how we how we run our business. So we um, have created a new strand of work called Building Out, and the Out stands for Openness, Understanding and Transparency. No, it's not. I always get that wrong. It's trust. Uh-oh. <laughs> but I mean, you know, like maybe it should be a double T. Um, and yeah, we run public courses on consent-based decision-making and also do coaching on how on how it can work on a practical basis. Because I think also when we're talking about these things, and when I was talking about the the restorative justice circle, I'm talking about a a harmonious group of people, but I also really don't want to suggest that groups of humans are always harmonious because they're not, Um, and that's fine. I think it's just about how we work through it. So we also have another workshop called Reframing Conflict, um, which is basically if you keep having a fight with a specific person or people in your organisation, like, you know, come and like talk about it come to this workshop and you can talk about it with the person in, in a safe way um yeah and and there's like I mean just even I haven't really looked for restorative justice much um online because I feel like very it's almost like I don't really want to get anyone else's perspective because I'm so I've enjoyed my own experience with it so much but I can imagine that there is a lot out there because yeah, I think Lord, a lot of- I can definitely um plus one your own recommendation of outlandish's workshops we have done the sociocracy courses and also the the reframing conflict one and in Mm -hmm. fact used it the other day when we were having a bit of an argument and um managed to kind of sort it out by using some of the tools from that that workshop which was great that's great yeah That's why that's why we were smiling because <laughs> Doug and I were just remembering. Doug and I sort of fight like brother and sister sometimes. And we do. ever <laughs> since the reframing conflict workshop, we've been using some of the tools that um that we learned from Pete and Abby and mm. that was a really good experience. We um th- we are open did sociocracy last year and this year we did reframing conflict and you guys are going to have to come out with a new one for next year because I, <laughs> I think we essentially just want to take all of the outlandish building out stuff because, um, yeah, we, we're also, we're really interested in, in finding that safe space, um, both for ourselves inside of our work, but also just more generally in society. And mm-hmm. I think it's, it's very inspired, like everything that you're talking about, um, today is really interesting and inspiring and, Yes, thank you. For and just sharing. before we wrap up, actually, it's worth mentioning because we haven't really said this yet. We've talked about your personal experience. We've talked about outlandish, but we haven't really said that. We've kind of touched on it, but we haven't really said that you do bring this stuff into your work with clients. Um, yeah. I've seen you do that, Kaylee. Um, and it's really important stuff. It's really important work. If people bring their full selves to work, not only in inside a co-op, but inside um, client organizations. So, yeah, that's nice to see as well. Thank you. I think um, I, I've tried to commit to holding myself accountable and to doing the things that I said I would do. Um, and sometimes, like, it doesn't land very well. And clients are like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, okay, <laughs> let me just give you a bit of, like, context of what's going on here. But also I would prefer, especially, like, well, not even especially in a client relationship, but any any working relationship that I do have, I prefer to know, like, wh- what people are up for towards the start. 
And also like what their boundaries are as well. I think if I have a client that I've had clients in the past that think it's just okay to shout at me. And I and I don't um I don't shy away from saying I can't work with you like this. Like, would you like I'd like to have a feedback conversation before we continue working together? And and if they say no, then I just don't work with them because I don't have to. <laughs> you yeah, know, exactly. for I, me, I say this to my kids all the time, like you people can only treat you the way you let them treat you. And people say yes, but and it's like, no, not yes, but like you can walk away from situations. It's very important. So it's good that you said that. Yeah, just because they're paying us doesn't mean they get to treat us however they like. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Um, Kaylee, we're at time, but it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on our podcast. Uh, we've been wanting you on here for a while, but you've been traveling and doing client work and stuff. Um, thank you for your recommendations. We'll look those up and make sure that we get them in the, the show notes and make sure we spell things correctly because, you know, there's some hard words in there. Um, yeah, is there anything you wanted, you haven't had a chance to say? Any questions that you haven't answered? Anything at all that you wanted to ask of us? Or um, any final words? Um, thank you for your time and um, for creating the space to do this. I mean, there are loads and loads of other things I could just carry on talking to you both about all day, but you know, there's, there's probably... We'll have to have you back on. Optimum length for a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both so much. Thank you, Kaylee.